Okay, welcome everyone. Dashian Miller here from Warrior Concepts and OnlineNinjaAcademy.com and all those other wonderful places that uh, we help you guys with things. Anyway, so um, as you probably read in the screen, promotional stuff that went out about tonight's or this week's uh, episode. So we we talk a lot about uh, the problem with compartmentalizing things too much. Now, sometimes you have to do that, right? Uh, just for your own sanity. But what I really got to thinking about, uh, and part of it is, uh, you know, we're going through some of this stuff in the Sanji Shichi Dobo and 37 Fundamentals program with those students. Uh, we just started uh, the relaunch of the Foundations of Ninja Self-Defense uh, course, right? I'll, I'll share some opportunities there uh, for that here in a little bit. But compartmentalization can be a trap, right, where we start putting too many things in their own little separate boxes and we miss the connections. We miss the tie-ins, right? Um, this has happened a couple of times in class uh, just the past, what, two weeks uh, where uh, folks got caught up in playing with the toys in the module or in the boxes that are based on the rank that they're, uh, you know, they're, the, the next promotion rank, right? And drop the ball on uh, updating or upgrading lessons that they had learned earlier. Uh, some people end up like getting really, really lost when I tie two or three techniques together to create that next step uh, skill set, right? Like uh, being able to throw a shuriken in the middle of a roll and hit your target kind of thing, right? Um or punching or kicking, not just coming out of a roll, like you don't come out of it and then do it, but you're actually launching the punch or kick to, one, help you come out of the roll more smoothly, two, to engage a potential attacker who's waiting to jack you as you come out because they expect that somebody's going to come out, then get ready, then then go, and three, to allow the force and energy of the roll to compound the amount of force and power that's behind that punch or kick, right? So, but anyway, um, one of my teachers used to call this and many other <laughs> things that we did in the dojo, right, where we got caught up in the martial artiness of things, right? He would call it dojo syndrome, right? He, as a matter of fact, he would make this big joke about it being this nasty virus, right, that people can contract. And if they're not careful, it'll get in the way and just completely screw things up, right? It's this, it's to be seen as an illness, right? That needs to be cured, okay? Um, and so uh, curing this quote-unquote dojo syndrome um, and bad training and, and things like that, right? Uh, I want to talk about some of that during this episode. And we're also going to, speaking of interconnectedness, tie this in with something that forms a major crux or or just really critical foundational part of our Mikyo, uh, Ninpo Mikyo philosophy and how, again, people can tend to look at that from the life mastery side and miss how it is also a guiding framework for our uh, self-protection uh, Nijutsu training or training in Nijutsu, right? So anyway, uh, we're going to go, go deep. I'm going to give you another framework and give you a couple, uh, a bunch of things to think about, obviously, tonight. Uh, and so hopefully it will help, right? 
Anyway, we'll talk about that and more when we get started. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. Really? No, seriously. Um, anyway, all right, so uh, again, uh, if you were on when we first got started, great, you got a heads up. If not, what we're going to be taking a look at the, uh, during this uh, episode is tying our training or looking at how we can ramp up our training, make sure we're on track and whatnot by using eight conditioners or eight filters that actually come to us from our Nidatsu, or I'm sorry, from our Mikyo uh, side of the training, right? The philosophical side of the training, the life mastery side. But again, there's this, this issue with kind of compartmentalizing things, right? So, you know, that's, that's on the life mastery side, right? I mean, that's, that's what that is, right? Um, meanwhile, over here, this is this is the real stuff, man. This is where we're punching and kicking and throwing people and keeping jack wagons from hurting us or our family. And um, uh, I, I thought universal truth was supposed to be universal truth across the board, and we were supposed to be understanding how to apply the lessons in both in both directions, right? Just like uh, Ichimoji no Kata, right? Uh, for those of you who are not in the Bujinkan or not in Nijutsu and don't know what I'm talking about, it's this basic fundamental technique that, uh, you know, most people, again, depending on where you are in your training, but I, I can comfortably say that most people, and I mean like 70% or better, see it as a basic punch defense, right? So he comes in with this punch, I shift away at this defensive angle in this uh, posture, known as Ichimaji no Kamae. Um, Deliver a counter strike to start breaking his balance, shift forward, continuing the balance breaking and delivering a knife hand to the side and or back of his neck, depending on how classical or traditional you want to get or how Gyoko specific you want to get with the technique. Right. But if we understand things from a principle, conceptual, uh, strategic thinking, right, uh, from a strategy side, then what we recognize is that we are neutralizing the force and effect of something he's throwing at us, looking for a moment where he's off balance, he's resetting, he's where I'm creating it, right? Where he can't stop me. I've identified a weak point, and then I just go in after that thing, okay? And that can show up 10,000 different ways, uh, considering that 10,000 in the East is just a number that locks up your brain and pretty much means infinite. Right. Um, but how, if we, if we come at it from that perspective and we recognize that whatever somebody's throwing at me to harm me to, you know, whatever, right. In whatever way, uh, and I'm neutralizing what they're doing, right. I'm rendering it moot. And then I'm taking advantage of an opening, creating one, or, you know, just basically, uh, looking for a gap or a moment of unbalance. And then meanwhile, I've, I've been paying attention to the where, where their weak points are. 
and then I just move in and tag one of them, right, to completely shut them down, right? And that's the fundamental from a principle-based description, right? So now it doesn't matter if I can if I can get to that level where I can see beyond the physical form of the technique, then it doesn't matter if he's throwing a punch, if he's trying to stab me, if he's trying to shoot me, uh, if he's calling me names, right? If he's trying to set me up for failure uh, at work, uh, if it's a family member who's you know, pulling some, you know, stabbing the back kind of bullshit, it, it doesn't matter, right? The The technique is about how do I position myself safely out of reach, so that I can neutralize what they're doing and through observation, through past experience, through knowledge about this person or through physical action, uh, unbalance them, create a stall moment where they're off balance and then target something that just will shut them down. It will shut them up. It will make them go away. It'll make them fold and go cry themselves to sleep in the corner, whatever. Okay, it's the same. Okay, so again, uh, you know, I mentioned during the introduction this this thing that my teacher used to call dojo syndrome, right? And what he was pointing at were these habits, right? Bad habits that kind of leak into training and bad habits, right? And for those of you going through the Mikio training with me or Sanjay Shichiobon or whatever, right? Um, you know that when we talk about bad habits, it could be a physical thing. It could be, uh, like I say, right a lot at the end of a sentence, right? I mean, it's, see, I just did it again, right? It's the period at the end of a sentence or it's the exclamation point or, or you know. Um, or it could just be the thoughts we have over and over and over again when the same cues or similar cues pop up and then we just run the same program. Okay, so what can happen is, you know, folks that don't have any real world experience or folks that have experience in other martial systems or self-defense or whatever, um, they they end up mistranslating things in the dojo. And so they end up doing things the way they think they're being done, right? So they translate it through past experience or they don't have any. So it's an assumption, right? Whatever it is they see, then it, you know, it must be that way. Or they've read a book here or there, or they watched a movie for God's sake, right? Can Ninja really jump up, you know, onto a third story balcony from the ground without a trampoline? Uh, sure. Why not? You know, in your world, based on what you're watching on TV. Sure. And I know we want it to be true. Anyway, um, but these things can creep in, and then what ends up happening is these assumptions or beliefs or views or whatever they are, right, kind of leak in and end up sending people down a path that's not conducive, right? What they what they end up finding out is that when bad things happen, they're not as prepared as they thought they were. Case in point, right? It's just, um, I, don't, I don't remember if I was telling, if I was talking to James, was that you, you and I this morning we were having that discussion about when I was in the army and got deployed to Grenada and 
was that was that us? Okay. So anyway, um, you know, I'm a combat veteran, which means that I've ducked bullets and had grenades and shit blowing up way too close to me for comfort. But anyway, um, I I was not a big fan. <laughs> field training and playing infantry dude and running around and playing soldier and all that when I was in, right? Um, I was an army cop. So, I mean, that, that was my career track and whatever, right? It doesn't matter, right? When the shit happens, everybody wearing a uniform gets to go do what needs to be done, right? And so uh, I found myself on a C-130 uh, transport heading for Grenada to help liberate some college students, right? Bad shit happening. Uh, this is back in the, during the Cold War days and whatnot. So, uh, you know, the old Soviet Union had, um, because they had an alliance with Cuba, uh, had taken over this little tiny island nation called Grenada, right, in the Caribbean, and were building an airstrip, which help to move them closer so that they could come up through our southeastern uh, border in the southern United States, right? Not that anybody knows or cares, right? But anyway, so this was like the moment that I realized this kind of weird disconnect, this, this dojo syndrome, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, the conventional martial arts dojo. Just remember the, the word dojo, right? Conventionally is translated as training hall, but it's made up of these two kanji. One means place, and one points to uh, like uh, like enlightenment, like a, a path, right? Where a path is followed, those kind of things, right? Uh, so uh, a dojo is a place where enlightenment takes place. Okay, so any place that you are fully engaged and are learning lessons, right, is a dojo, right? So, um, but anyway, I found myself on this C-130, big old fat ass airplane, right? That doesn't fly very uh, fast, but it's because it's hauling tanks and Jeeps and all that kind of stuff and not just people. And I'm staring at the far side of the fuselage, sitting in a uh, paratrooper's cargo net. Now, I wasn't a paratrooper. My job was to secure the the, the DZ so that these uh, guys could jump out of an airplane and, you know, not get killed on the way down which means I had to fight my way into the, anyway. So um, I, I found myself staring at the far wall, right, right through my M16, which was, you know, we all had them. They were between our legs in a vertical position, stock on the, butt of the stock on the, on the floor and muzzle pointing up and um, just sitting there staring at the far wall, running my training through my head, my military training. Okay. Uh, because at that point, yeah, at that point I, I'd been training in this stuff. So uh, there were some other things that were going on in my head, but either way, right. So uh, I had a platoon sergeant who was actually the desk sergeant, right. Cause I was one of a team of four that was pulled off the military police desk at Fort Bragg to establish a military police station on this Island of Grenada. Okay. Cause you know, that's what you want. You want a radio operator. You want a desk sergeant. You want a, uh, let's see, a, a breathalyzer guy, <laughs> somebody that was typing in the, all the cases for the night, uh, the blotter guy. Anyway, so uh, the, the sergeant that was sitting next to me, our desk sergeant, um, he had spent two tours in Vietnam. 
right? Really tall, thin black guy. Um, really cool. Um, but very stern, right? But you always knew he had your back, no matter how direct he was with you. You knew that it was, it was in your best interest and not just him being an ass, right? Um, so the other two guys were sitting to my left. And, um, anyway, so, you know, I'm running through this stuff. Like if this plane doesn't get vaporized in the air, if we don't end up scattered all over the damn runway, um, you know, as soon as that door opens, right, I'm going to find the first cover I can get behind this thing and assess things from there. Right. Listen for orders that are being shouted. Uh, hope I don't end up being like the platoon sergeant just like that because mine gets taken out or whatever. So I'm running all this training through my head and um, I suddenly become aware of sounds coming from my right. So toward the tail end of the of the plane, just a couple of seats down more, more than that. Right. But what I hear is crying. And. Not not the toughest guy in the in the thing by any means, especially when I know I'm probably going to eat it today. Right. Um, but under pressure, I tend to focus and get tunnel vision, not where I exclude things, but where I don't want to hear whatever bullshit you're, you're talking. If it's not about the mission in the moment, it's a distraction. So whatever. Right. But I hear this crying and then I hear praying through crying. And I kind of lean out a little bit past past the, the sergeant. And I look to my right. And what I see are the guys who, during field training, remember the stuff I said I hated, right? Running around playing John Wayne and talking about killing a commie for mommy and all this kind of stuff, which pop, popular tough guy phrases back in the uh, early to mid-80s in the military. And uh, they were the ones who were doing the crying. Meanwhile, me and the guys that, like, we, we went and did the training because we had to do the training. Didn't like it. Certainly weren't playing those freaking games, right? Um, we're running scenarios through our heads, right? Well, at least I was running scenarios through my heads. I can't speak for the other guys. And so, um, but I just, I kept running these these scenarios, right? Um, cause I knew which door I had to go. Wow. Well, there's one of two doors, right? There's a smaller door along the same side of the fuselage that I'm sitting on <clears throat> to my left toward the front of the plane. It's six or seven seat placements forward. And then this big ass ramp that would have opened up at the back end where they would have driven the jeeps and other equipment and stuff off the vehicle. Uh, that, that we would have had with us. And um, so, um, I, again, I'm running running scenarios, right? And, um, but that that was my, that was like this huge epiphany. The, the, <laughs> the only other thing from that moment that stands out is that when we, uh, before we landed, uh, we got the, the word from the pilot's uh, compartment that, we were like 10 minutes out or something like that. And um, the, the sergeant next to me, the one had spent two tours in Nam, he nudged me with his elbow. He said, you scared? I said, yeah, I'm fucking scared. And he said, don't worry about it. I have enough heart for all four of us. 
And what I said was, fuck the other two, give me theirs. And, you know, and so, you know, we had a little chuckle or whatever, but, um, it was just one of those moments. Um, anyway, almost got blown up that day, but that's for another, that's for another story. <laughs> anyway, so, um, I didn't mean to laugh about that, but I guess some things you just, you have to, or you go fucking crazy. Anyway, so, uh, but the epiphany was, um, you know, what I found more often than not is those that are playing the game um, or playing it like it's a game um, are a whole lot less clear about things or they don't know how they're going to operate when things really happen. Right. And now they may have lots of experience. They may have had lots of fights. Right. Uh, If you go down through the videos, that we've posted and whatnot, right? There's plenty of people that want to share their opinions, but those opinions are all based on their prior experience, right? And basically what it looks like is they've all been in the same kind of fights, right? Because they want to tell me how nobody ever grabs wrists and nobody ever does this or nobody ever does that. And um, that hasn't been my experience. I wouldn't be giving techniques for those things if I didn't see them happen or I wasn't involved in it. Because again, combat bet, military cop, right, uh, private security, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, if, if all somebody's ever been in are the same kind of fights that happen in, you know, in high school uh, schoolyards, I've got nothing. But anyway, um, so, again, we have to be careful, right? So here's my thing, right, curing dojo syndrome Right. And bad training right? starts by understanding how ignorance and I don't mean stupidity. What I mean is false views or wrong perspective, uh, assumptive thinking, those kind of things. Right. And a general lack of understanding of what it's like to be inside that bubble right, can really lead students and teachers Right. Because these students end up at certain levels, ranks, whatever, become teachers. Right. Um, down, uh, you know, the proverbial rabbit hole. To a place where they're not as ready uh, or as prepared as they think they are when. The moment comes that I promise you um the kind of things that I and my inner circle guys are training for, I don't wish that on anybody because we're not talking about the bravado fisticuff fight that you can brag about later. We're talking about somebody trying to beat at minimum, break, maim, or kill you. Right? So uh, as some of the Japanese teachers say in Japan, right? you don't need 2,000-year-old secrets to defend against conventional fighting. You don't need that to defend, to defend against what they consider to be shit. And what they consider to be shit is not because it's not that somebody's not powerful. It's not that somebody's not a good fighter. It's not that somebody's not, you know, uh, they don't hit hard or whatever, right? What they're talking about is somebody who is not trained to deliver kill shots quickly, directly, and efficiently 
because that's what they do. It's not about hitting. It's not about kicking. It's it's this person is this is not going to this is not going to be a 2 minute or a 5 minute round of a multi round uh contest unless there's a knockout. Right? It's not that kind of thing, right? And that's what this training is designed for, right? Anybody can duck a punch. Can you duck a punch from somebody who knows how to eliminate your uh, your escape routes, right? It's coming right down the middle so that you've got this longer, you know, this this harder time getting offline because you got to clear at least half your body width to get off that off that line, right? And once you learn how to do that, not that hook punches feel good when they land, not that hook punches are slow, but hook punches come from one particular direction, and so the person has to be faster. They have to be trickier. They have to they have to make up for this ginormous hole that's created. And again, I'm not I'm not knocking how people fight, right? I mean, I, I don't I wouldn't want to engage with most of the people um, that I encounter that have even a modicum of skill. One, because I'm not using this stuff to prove a point on anybody because that violates my morals and ethics. But I'm not risking my family's well-being by doing something stupid, by jumping into an, uh, a situation where I could potentially never go home again. Uh, that's just, that, that's not me. But anyway, so um, I, I thought this was like important enough to talk about. Okay. But again, I, I don't want to make this a philosophical thing. Okay. So again, this comes on the tail end of this 37 fundamentals course. Uh, it's kind of a pre Mikyo, even a pre Buddhist thing. If anybody wants to do that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a foundation thing for people who want to benefit from the lessons, but they're not switching religions. They're not, uh, you know, whatever. And that's, not even religion, but anyway, um, it's coming on the tail end of that. And what's happening is we're kind of going full circle in that program, right? And one of the points that I made in a recent class was that these frameworks are universal. And while the program itself, or not the program, but the, the teachings that it's based on, tend to focus on a spiritual path. They tend to focus on, you know, life mastery, that kind of stuff, right? If it's, if it comes from a base of wisdom, if it comes from an enlightened standpoint, it should be able to be overlaid over absolutely anything that we're trying to get good at or that we're trying to become an expert at. It's, it comes from a place where my life and my experience of it is the thing I'm trying to improve. But what if we were to overlay this framework over our training, over the training paradigm? See, I have weird thoughts, right? Anyway, so um, that's what I'm going to take a look at. And I, I, we're going to start at the beginning and we're going to look at this thing. Uh, and I'll go into that in just in just a minute. But before I start... Um, for those of you who wanted to, or you missed the deadline or whatever, um, we have four spots that opened up in the, 
the Foundations of Ninja Self-Defense uh, program that we are relaunching. It's a, it's a part of um, this full uh, Platinum Inner Circle program we have for uh, folks that are, uh, you know, really jazzing about doing the whole ninjutsu thing and, and whatever. But again, it's from my perspective and my experience, which is also heavily influenced by the way training was done in the early to mid 80s. Um, not so much just, you know, let's let's do it this way. Um, James is, is actually helping me with um, reshooting some of these lessons. We literally started with with day one. Right. So uh, today marks the beginning of week two. So folks, you know, everything's recorded. So um, they would have an easy opportunity of it's not even a catching up, but. You know, it's a 16, 16 week program, 16 weeks, right? It's an accelerated program because it takes people, um, in the dojo six months unless they come to class a lot and practice a lot on their own outside of the dojo. It takes them six months. So what is six months? Uh, 24 weeks? Yeah, about 24 weeks. Okay. So we're doing it so that if anybody wants to get rank and all that kind of stuff, and they don't have to, some people are just on for the ride, right? Um, they can, they can do it in 16, but they have to be diligent, of course. Right. So anyway, they're open. So um, uh, I'm going to have James post the link uh, to the information page. If you could do that, James, uh, in the chat uh, area. So or uh, which should show up on all the comments. Right. It should show up on all the platforms. If I understand how this one that we're using works, it's kind of a hub. So we're simulcasting to uh, Facebook couple of pages on Facebook or a couple of groups on Facebook, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn. Uh, I think there's a glitch in the Twitter matrix these days. Um, so I don't know that we're on Twitter. Maybe, right? Uh, well, I think, no, I think we are. I didn't get an error through Restream for that. So anyway, um, so there's four spots, right? And, uh, you know, if you want a guided walk down, um, you know, foundational lane. Uh, but anyway, James and I were shooting another uh, set of these videos today. And uh, James, if you could uh, open yourself up there. Well, not open yourself up. That would be like seppuku. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, there you go. Anyway, so um, do you remember? Uh, I, I can't remember which lesson I finished, right? But I just finished one of the basic basics. And do you remember your eyebrows going up like – because uh, you had just mentioned at the end of last week or in the middle of last week or whatever that uh, you don't know if people realize just how much they're getting in a given lesson mm-hmm. that's crammed into a three-minute or a seven-minute video clip about a given technique or right. whatever, right? Because uh, you made some kind of comment that you've seen – because you, you follow way more of this stuff than I do. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't follow anybody's stuff, so I get it all second and third hand, right? Um, but you were talking about somebody doing video lessons where they're like showing a come on and they're like, okay, so you do it like this, and then in this direction you do it. Do, do I have that right? Okay. Yes. Uh, and here I am going, okay, look, okay, so, you know, uh, this is here because, and this is here because, and this is whatever, and this is tied in with and is a reflection of the three primary keys of self-defense, right? Uh, and then tying that in with, again, interconnectivity, right? Tying this in with uh, Hatsumi Sensei has always said, if you can't do this, come on, you can't do Taijutsu. Well, here's, you know, here's what we're looking at. And this is just the foundation. We're going to be looking at 
this deeper and deeper as we go down the line. So anyway, um, what, what, other than that little thing that I just kind of, I don't know, paraphrased, um, what keeps making your eyebrows go up after I, after we like finish one of the clips? I mean, some of it is, I might've heard it before, but I didn't remember that little piece. And it's a reminder to me of like a, a little detail that I was missing. But uh, also it's just a lot of some of the stuff you, like we were talking about, you can find on other YouTube videos and whatnot. If you literally want the, you know, this, copy do this do that kind of thing but even in a few minutes it's you know really is like the uh see how deep the rabbit hole really goes kind of idea <clears throat> that uh you know there's way more details to this stuff than just the the obvious and well we haven't even gotten into the details this is just laying a foundation i mean the name of the course is a foundation right but there's so even way more to that than I think what most people realize just like with basics of anything. I mean, people, I think most people, even with come on, I think it's just, you know, still see it as very much just a stance kind of thing versus that yeah. it's really the magic of you know, the foundation basis of it all and everything. So, yeah, I think one of the things I mentioned today in, in to, with the come that I, we were covering for this week is that this Kamai won't work for certain types of attacks. Right. So one of the lessons you're going to have to learn moving down the line is how to strategically think about your Kamai as answers or um, or good options against certain types of fight tactics, right? Because every Kamai closes certain things off, opens certain things up, that kind of thing, right? So uh, anyway, cool stuff. So, um, what else was, anyway, so again, if you're interested, right, uh, James will post the, the link there if he hasn't done it already and, uh, you can take a look. Like I said, we've got a couple more spots. Anyway, I don't want to keep tying things up with that. If, if, if that's something you want to look at, great. If it's not, no harm, no foul. Uh, but this, uh, this one, before it becomes an evergreen program and only has, um, uh, like, email coaching later down the line to answer some questions and things like that. This one, uh, as a matter of fact, tonight, right? Uh, we just had a live Q and a that was tuned in via zoom to one of our live classes. So yeah, I can, I can see what you're doing. I can, uh, you know, more James, I post often post him there as well, um, at the, at the computer so he can see. So you're never more than a week out from having your stuff checked so that you're not going like most video programs. You're not going weeks or months before somebody takes a look at it to find out that you've got a bad habit that's worked into things. Anyway, anyway, back to bad habits. Right. So um, in our Mikyo training at the very foundation of things, still in the exoteric conventional lessons that literally everything points back to. There uh, is something known as the Noble Eightfold Path, which sounds really woo-woo, and, you know, it's this, uh, you know, there are these eight areas of your life that you're supposed to be paying attention to, to minimize and or eliminate um, a good portion of the suffering, discontent, and all that kind of crap that people tend to experience day-to-day -day in their life. Well, one of my teachers 
really explained it as it's not just things that you pay attention to. These things are going on all the time. It's kind of like in the martial arts, right? Inertia. Once you get in motion or you throw a punch or he throws a punch or whatever, right? Inertia is something that's always going on, right? Because it's the energy produced when mass gets moving. And then it's the thing that you experience when you try to stop that mass on a dime and you can't. Right. And you usually don't experience the the end result or, or what's really going on until your teacher, like, puts a leg in front of yours or stops a part of your body. And then you know, there's still this residual and you can't get turned around fast enough before you get nailed in the neck or something like that. Uh, if you're driving. Right. You can't feel the fact that you're going you physically, your body is traveling forward or backwards or whatever at whatever speed the car is moving. At a certain point, it equalizes out, right? There's a point where when you accelerate, you can feel, or bullet train, airplane, whatever, you can feel yourself sink back into the seat, right? But then there's this feeling of normalization, right? Car lurches forward, oh, dude. And then everything, just, that feel, that sensation just kind of goes away. You can't feel yourself flying down the road until you hit a curve or something like that, right? Um, or somebody taps the brakes, okay? The car suddenly decelerates, but you're still traveling at the same speed until things normalize, right? You crash into the back of the seat in front of you, the dashboard, the you know, the windshield, the seatbelt, shoulder harness, whatever catches you, whatever, okay? So these things are always going on. Gravity is always going on. We just don't experience it until... You know, we that balance breaks and we have to catch ourselves. Okay, so this path sounds like it's this artificial thing that I need to believe in. Um, that I can use to make magic happen, or I don't know, something like that, right? But the reality, the flip side of this is that. What's being pointed to are eight conditioners of your life experience, okay? And they feed each other back and forth. There's this interconnectivity going on, but they condition your experience. So in Mikio, we talk about the, your experience of life from that generalized kind of thing. But you know, I, I took a look at these things, and I'm like, holy crap. Just shift your perspective a little bit and replace life with training, replace life with a combat situation, replace life with whatever, right? And what you have at a minimum, okay, because actually in Mikio, there's two more that are added to this, um, but there are these eight conditioners and the way we think about things and the way we approach our training, right? are conditioned by these, but the way we do them intentionally, accidentally, the amount of energy we put into it, we mentioned that um, how many times? I don't know if anybody's on that's in the 37 Fundamentals course, but um, we talk about the amount of energy that you put in or the, the level of your desire, interest, whatever, right, um, directly affects the outcome, right, as to how far things are going to go, right? But they, they're also, they're, they're conditioning 
they're conditioning the outcome. Okay, so these things are always going on, kind of like gravity, right? Um, you don't have to believe in it. Okay, there's lots of people out there who like to believe that they can. They like to believe that they can believe in whatever they want, right? Um, and by all means, right? You're a grown up. You can do whatever you want. Okay, and then. You know, you can also feel free to get pissed off when the world slaps you in the face because you were wrong. Okay? And then ego can run around and do whatever justification it wants. But anyway, um, so I, I mentioned about the ignorance and the perspective and, and whatever. Right. And this can come in. And this is actually the first part. Right. There, there's eight conditioners. Um, and what we're looking at is view or perspective, uh, thought, word, deed, livelihood, effort. Uh, meditation and consciousness. Okay. I know these are not martial arty words. And even if I threw out the Japanese, it wouldn't be any more special because some people are so averse to this. Um, you know, I didn't get involved in this for any religion. Well, me either. Okay. Um, but I, as a good ninja in today's world, will explore anything that has the potential of producing the level of skill that I may need when bad things are going to happen or when I'm trying to create something and produce something of value in the world. Okay. So, um, a lot of egos, right. They just, right. They, it has to be the official way. It has to be the right way. And that's fine. Um, but that plays right back into the belief and the ignorance, right? Who determines what the right way is okay well how's Mason say okay well you've been around since 1978 which is when he started teaching westerners right um no okay uh you've been around since mid 80s no okay so you've been to every one of his classes no okay uh okay so you've at least watched all of the summarized clipped clips turned into quest videos no okay well then a lot of what you have is being translated by other people and or passed on so okay right anyway so we we have to get this perspective thing right and there's there's a lot of them right but during this this episode i just want to take a look at two right we're gonna look at two sides of this sword right um, two sides to the path, whatever. Okay. And one is based on being able to answer the question, what is ninjutsu? Okay. Now we have a program based on, uh, a litmus test that was, and Hatsumi said they taught on this mid to late eighties, right? Um, where there were these eight minimum areas that a school had to be teaching, before they could claim to have been teaching needed to, right? So therefore, this is going on, right? Um, also understanding that that was the technology of the time, or based on the technology of the time, right? Based on the science of the time and all that, right? But again, if we can reduce it to principles and concepts, we should be able to update that to a 21st century kind of thing, lest we're only ever going to be doing things with spear and bow and arrow and sword and whatever when we live in a different culture, different weapons, whatever. And I, I know people that train in the art that um, are, you know, they're, they're 
big advocates of making guns go away and all that um, because they don't have they don't want to have to think about them. Right. They, you know, they're they're all for swords and spear and the traditional weapons in the martial arts. But, you know, no guns. Right. Um, meanwhile, we can kill people with everything else. But anyway, and I'm not I'm not getting into a political or philosophical debate with anybody about anything. This is about understanding what what was being taught. But anyway, so one question to, to that we have to be able to get our head on straight about is what is this thing that we're doing? Right. And what were the past masters passing on? Okay. But this is not all encapsulated by what's in the scrolls. Okay. There are little hints and signs and, and reminders and important key pieces. But just like that story I told about being on that C-130 heading for, you know, a possible bullet. Um, there's there's commonality, right? Anybody that's ever been in a real experience, in real fights, okay? I have I know many people in uh, in this world they had a different upbringing than me. Um, they came at it from the lawless side and then ended up as a good guy, right? Um, Mark McYoung's a really good example of that, right? Um, and or they, you know, came at it from the same direction as I have. But they didn't just learn things. They ended up in the shit and came away. We're all teaching the same thing, even though the art we're teaching or the perspective or the, the direction we're coming from, or whatever, is different. The words we use, the you know, the vocabulary, whatever, it's all different. But there's this commonality, which is why Hasmissen say would always tell people don't get too wrapped up in your rank, right? Um, if you don't have the experience, if you've never been there, you need to go find people that have and ask them. And they may not be able to tell you or demonstrate, right? They, they may not know what an Ichimonji no Kata is. They may not be able to demonstrate one to your satisfaction or to your skill level. But that what those people will be able to tell you is what you better be freaking paying attention to, right? And this is where it crosses over. This is the other half. So the first part is, what is this thing that we're learning and how am I, how do I need to be learning it so that it, it works when I need it? And the other half, the other side, again, we're only looking at two today. The other side is we need to know about this thing outside of the pushing and shoving, fisticuffs, Saturday at bar fight, uh, high school fight, uh, whatever, sport, competitive kind of stuff um, that we, we may think we know about, right? But we need to know about this realm, right? Um, call it personal combat, call it, you know, uh, street survival, Right. Those kind of things. Um, and we need to know we need to know that we need to know more than just some prepackaged, boxed. Cool moves. OK. Um, because there are. There are different things that are going to make you what it is that you think you want to become. 
and I'm still in the process of becoming, right? Every year older, every advancing stage of arthritis, right? Um, you know, still trying to recover from meds that, you know, I was given for years coming out of a really bad traffic accident, right? That makes it really, really, really difficult to drop this weight, right? No matter how much I'm using intermittent fasting, no matter how it's, it's a roller coaster, right? So, I mean, people look at me and go, you know, he's not, uh, he's, he's got the, the donut shop as his pals. I don't eat donuts. Okay. I don't eat half the crap that most people assume that I eat. Right. Um, but here we are. Right. So, uh, anyway, so what I thought that I would do is take a look at, um, this thing, right? Because each of these, and I'm going to use the word conditioners for this episode, right? Each of these eight conditioners affect your training, affect how you engage with it, affect what you choose to train in, how much. They affect how often you train. They affect whether or not you get off your ass and train, right? They affect all kinds of things, right? So what I did, right, is I just jotted out very quickly some notes today. For those of you on audio only, you can't see that I held up this like notebook page with my chicken scratch on it, right? Um, and what I did was I, I just jotted down each of these things because I know them inside out and backwards. And I'll discuss just generally, very, very quickly, um, each one and what it points to and some erroneous views about each one, right? Um, because everything starts with right perspective or right view, right? Um, the, the, the central focal point, because if we're ignorant about something or we, we have a misunderstanding about something or we're not clear about something or we make assumptions and we we delude ourselves about something, that in and of itself will condition everything else that we do. Right view, right belief, right perspective, whatever word you want to use is behind the way we think, the way we speak, the way we plan, the way we act, the way we live, the, the amount of effort we put into it, what we are mindful of, and <laughs> how the, the depth of our experience and how much we immerse ourselves in whatever topic we're, we're looking at. Okay? So it all starts with this idea of right perspective. If it's askew, then everything is going to be askew, right? The guys that are going through the 37 fundamentals thing, we looked at this other thing. Uh, it's in one of our programs, the first seven steps on the path of a Buddha, which just means awakened one, right, or enlightened one, um, is this thing called the 12-fold chain of dependent origination. I think I mentioned that. Did I mention that in a previous episode? Right. Uh, anyway, the guys who are binge listening to Kuden, who end up being like our best uh, students, um, uh, and, and I think that comes to, going back to what James and I were talking about earlier. I'll, I'll jump back on this this train in a minute, right? But we were talking about the stuff that you know I'm putting into these lessons that are just they're not typically there. What we end up with is what I hear a lot is the way you describe things. Like, why don't you describe things like everybody else? Because the way you're you're describing things, that's not how everybody does it. That's not how everybody's describing it. Okay. 
not my fault, right? Okay. Um, but my best students are the ones that come to me and go, you don't describe it like everybody else. This is the stuff I've been looking for because I've been in situations. I've been whatever. Okay. So I, you know, people ask me why I do all these things, right? There's a podcast. We're at episode 171. I know that's not a lot, but that's what I get for taking a year and a half off or whatever it was that I took off. Right. Um, where are we almost at or somewhere around episode 80 of whiteboard Wednesday and 600 articles and all kinds of things. Right. Um, it's because I'm literally fishing for people who can make the connection, right? That they can see they're not just there to learn some moves and get a belt color or a trophy or a pat on the head or whatever. They know what that problem is and they have an idea about what needs to is, but what they're looking for is the connection, the match. Okay. So, and again, it's not my fault that everybody's become uh, me too. So that, that usually happens in one of two uh, ways. Discipleship, where everybody's been trained by the same teacher during the same time period that that teacher was teaching exactly that way. And so what you have is a bunch of parroting going on, or they all read the same book or watched the same videos. Either way, you've got the same source. And so what you have are people repeating what other people are saying. In academia, this is a big thing in research, right? You can tell when people are researching based on their own hypothesis and trying to come up with, they're trying to find, like, something that hasn't been found before, as opposed to somebody who's writing a book or a paper on something that has been, quote, unquote, proven and so what they do is they research what everybody else has come up with, then they synthesize that, put it in their own words, and create their own book. Okay, that's that's just I needed a book with my name on it for credibility, but I'm going to stand on the shoulder of giants to do it. Okay, as opposed to right taking this stuff, using it in the world, and then teaching from both perspectives. Anyway. Right. And there are, there's a bunch of us out there, right? Um, in this art and in other arts. Okay. Um, I just can't say that they're all in the same place. Okay. But I don't know everybody. So, and I never set out to know everybody. So, um, maybe that makes me the asshole, but here I am. Right. Okay. So we start with this right perspective or right view. Okay. So again, um, this this eightfold this eight eight thing right uh, again it's it's we, we it's one of the blocks of instruction in the first seven steps on the path of a Buddha it's also one of the blocks I I I de-Buddhified <laughs> right whatever right um, I created another program it was actually I created that before I created the first seven steps program because I know there's a lot of folks that the way things are described or the words that are used or whatever, right, their defense mechanisms are going to go up because they really don't want to learn the new lesson. What they want is they want to look around for things that they could run through their filters that are already in place, and it's delivered in an acceptable way that they're willing to learn it, right? They, they don't want to 
they want to learn new things as long as they get to determine whether it's right or not. The heck? I just got a little warning here. Hold on one second. Apparently, I was not as prepared as I thought I was. Might be nice if I plugged my uh, system in here. Earthquake. All right, see if I can do this before everything shuts down. All right, that should have fixed it. All right, so apparently I was not as prepared as I thought I was. <laughs> All right, so, um, but this, you know, I, I make this joke about parents that bring their kids to, to the kids' classes at the martial arts school, right? And they want um, they want the, the child to learn respect and discipline, all those kind of things, right? Things that they should be teaching. Um, but what, they, what they're really saying without using the words is, um, could you take my kid – and could you give me back another one that behaves but looks and sounds and has the same memories as the kid I gave you? Okay. Um, uh, I'm good at what I do, but I don't have a cloning facility in the dojo unless James is hiding it really well and he's the one that does it. Anyway, so um, – but we have got this other mirror kind of program. It's called Ninja Mind, and it goes through these things as well. But it's uh, it's just laid out differently so that um, everybody kind of gets it right. Uh, so it's it's again approached from the warrior mindset. So anyway, um, this right viewer, right perspective, right. This is the why. And again, you you may remember if you've been around for a while and you've been following us. Some of these things are going to sound very, very familiar based on past episodes. Okay. Um, but we'll see. All right. So right view, right belief, right perspective, right? One, we need to be clear. This is about clarity, right? Um, no rose colored glasses, no filters, whatever, right? Um, the truth of what are we learning, right? Because if you've chosen this, and it's for self-defense, or have you chosen any martial art or self-defense program? You can't just assume, well, you can. You can do anything you want, right? But the enlightened person would not, the wise person would not assume that this program handles a street survival situation or a workplace violence situation or whatever against a bloodthirsty asshole who couldn't give two shits about you. Right. Just because it has the words self-defense or the words martial arts or the words ninjutsu or whatever or Bujinkan or whatever in the title. OK, so I need to be clear about what the program is all about and what's included. But I, on the other side, I need to be clear about this potential problem that I could be faced with. Because in the words of one of my teachers, if I screw that up. If what I answer that or try to solve that problem with is wrong, my family better look good in black. Or I'm going to take that one step farther, right? Um, my insurance better be really, really good because emergency room and rehabilitation centers and all that are really freaking expensive. Or, as James and I laugh about all the time because of some quote from some other self-defense guy, I better be really Good and really prepared to keep ten guys out of my asshole in a in a prison shower room. 
I know how crude these things sound, but if I'm wrong, the consequences could be way worse than the frustration we experience by getting a technique wrong in the dojo. Okay, Clarity. Clarity isn't just about what I'm learning and how cool it'll be when I get that black belt around my waist. Clarity also includes the consequences of getting it wrong. Okay, so this right view or right perspective, right, okay, what it really comes down to is things like my why, right? Why am I training, right? If I'm training training for egocentric reasons, if it's about I want to have a black belt and need to, I think that's cool. Uh, I want to be the center of attention because my life sucks, my job sucks, my family sucks, whatever. And the only place that I feel like I have any kind of control is in in the park on Saturdays when I'm teaching classes or these four walls, ceiling and floor called a dojo, and I get to be the guy in charge. See, you can do whatever you want. Okay, um, but it's going to depend on what your why is, okay, and how far you want to take that, right? Um, but it also answers the question: What is true? What is true about the art? What is true about this survival situation? They need to they need to mesh, don't they? They need to. Well, I think so, right? Okay, it's like the plug. At the, on the end of my toaster, okay, or, um, I don't know, my wife and I will, let's see, what do we do? Um, she take a, she'll take a, I don't know, she takes a hair dryer. We, we take the, oh, char- just the charging blocks, right, for our phones. We go on a cruise, okay, cruise ships, uh, or I go to Japan, right? You know, the plugs are not, like, in, in our cruise ship staterooms, I don't think we've ever had more than one panel box with two plugs that were standard U.S. plugs, right? James, you've been on a cruise, right? Yeah. But there's other panel boxes that have European standard, which are completely different, right? So because I know that, one of the things that goes in at least one of our luggage, if not one in each, just in case, right, are universal adapters, so it doesn't matter what I have. I keep one on hand at all times because when I go to Japan, right, I also have to adjust for the Japanese uh, electrical system because even if I can convert to vol- the, the right voltage and, and stay within that range for my appliances, the the uh, the amps are different. And so what I find is that my charges on my phone don't last as long in Japan because the amps are different, right? So I have to make sure I have to be more mindful about, right? How quickly that battery is going to drain and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, again, I have to be clear, right? What's true, right? So that I can be prepared for that thing. That's how I assess the, that's how I ended up in this art. Okay. I didn't, I, I was not shopping for Ninjutsu. When I encountered ninjutsu, I was already involved in other martial arts. Most of my peers in the early days of this art in the West were not shopping for ninjutsu. There were certain things that we needed to learn. There were certain tools. And we had always been kind of moving around from art to art to art, trying to find these things. And then we found this. And just through a couple of articles or a chapter in a book or whatever, 
we didn't have a name for this and we didn't care what the name on the book was. I mean, we were exploring it because like, what the hell is this? Right. But it was one of those things where we knew it when we saw it. Does that make sense? Okay. Knew it when we saw it. Okay. Knew it when we heard it. So what's true? Okay. What's true in the realm of combat? What's true about like, what are the different attacker types I'm going to have to worry about? Does this cover it? What are the different personality types? And what triggers them to conflict? Would that be helpful in knowing when I'm around those different personality types? Okay. What fight styles do they typically gravitate to? Is that, and again, do you have to study all this stuff? No. But again, one of the things I mentioned earlier on was depends on how deep you want to know, or depends on how much you really want to know how deep the rabbit hole goes. Some people don't want to know that stuff. So it doesn't matter if they quit the training altogether or they quit pursuing things. At a certain point, the average person or the less than fully committed person will hit a point where the next step becomes the beginning of just too damn much work. And they're not willing to do that. Okay. And it could be mental work. It could be emotional work. It could be energy work. It could be physical exertion. They're just, there, there, there will come a point. Okay. All right. So again, as I, as I point to these things, or as I, as I go through these, there's going to be a question. And that's the litmus test, right? Because the questions point to the conditioners. Okay. So, it's easy to go down and say right view, right thought, right word, right deed, right livelihood, right effort. It's it's easy to do that. Right? It's easy to parrot the words back, right? But the question pokes at ego and it asks for an answer. It makes us look at it again. If this is important, okay, because we're going to hit certain things that will, it'll, it'll make or break things. Okay? I've had people in the past, <laughs> James knows, I've had people in the past where people are like, are you trying to talk me out of training? No. No. What I'm trying to do is get you to be clear about why. Okay. So, you know, you, you can stop wherever you want. Okay? Since mine was always about survival, since mine was always about handling violent monsters, starting from childhood, then as a police officer, then in the military, the more I learn, the more I learn how many faces the monster has and how far he's willing to go, how many tools he has, those kind of things. Um, at this stage, it's not that I don't need to keep working on physical things because when I go to Japan or I, I train with teachers, I'm looking for those nuggets that can refine things and make it, make it harder for somebody to have a skill set that I can't at least match. But that's, that's like tiny little lessons to bump up a, 
a technique or whatever to make it a little bit more, uh, to make it tighter. But at this stage, it's, it's more wrapped around people that, you know, they're not willing to throw a punch at you because we have laws against that and that'll land them in jail, but we don't have any laws against them butchering the shit out of your spirit or your, uh, your, you know, sense of self or your, your confidence level or whatever, right? Um, those people I have an issue with. See, cause I can't just bury them. We don't live in a time that allows for that, right? Well, there are laws for that and my moral and ethics don't allow me to, you know, cover or cross that line because I have people that depend on me. So I, I won't cross that line. So I have to figure out other ways to neutralize the force of their attack, keep them off balance, know where their sensitive, sensitive points are and be willing to make them decide of their own accord to just, you know, not associate with me because I'm an asshole or whatever their term is. Okay. I don't care. Whatever it takes to keep them out of my realm of influence and my kingdom is all good with me. Okay. But what's the why? Right. And what is true? What is true about either side of that? Well, not either, both sides of it, right? To make sure that we have this connection. So again, going back to that little analogy with the plug uh, and the, the thing, if the sockets don't match up, nothing's going to work. Okay. So anyway, all right, so let's move on to right thought. Now, conventionally, right thought is your belief systems and your, and your, uh, your perspective on, on anything, right? Could be a person, could be a situation, could be that attacker, could be, uh, how fights happen, could be whatever, right? Uh, that's going to determine how you think about it, right? The thoughts you have, the ideas you have, um, what you think will work, not work, those kind of things, okay? So obviously the more clear we are, great. But see, this is what throws people off. Right thought in this, this particular conditioner is not just about how we think about things or the things we know we need to be paying attention to. That kind of stuff, this is just hinting at it, right? That's farther down. More to the point, this is about our intent, the level of our interest, okay? So a couple of questions that could be asked here is, how important is this? How important is it not just to learn it, right? How important is it to have this knowledge and to have these skills, And that's directly related to how how much we actually think that there's a possibility that we could be a target or somebody that we're lo- that we love and are are close to could be a target, and we need to have those skills. Because I know people in this art that have flat out looked at me and said, you know, I do this as a body exercise kind of thing. I do it because I like martial arts or whatever. I don't think I'm ever going to be attacked. I mean, I don't think it's a possibility in my life at all. And I go, great. I mean, who am I to tell them that the boogeyman's out there? Okay. My experience is different. Okay. And do I believe every day that no, because I, I've set my life up so that we live in a fairly quiet area, uh, whatever. Right. But 
it doesn't change things. Okay, it doesn't mean that it may not happen by accident, might not happen on a trip, might not, you know, whatever. Okay, so I'd rather have the skills and be able to rest easy because I know I have them than to not and then live on hope. Okay, so right here, I'm going to take a look at both of these because we're talking about intent, right? How important is it? And another question uh, in this direction that I jotted down was um, how much resolve do I uh, have for this? To make, like, no matter how bad the challenge is, how much resolve do I have that I will own these skills? I will own this knowledge. Okay. So there's a lot of energy going on here between this and right perspective, the why, right? What's true, that kind of thing, right? So I'm going to share just a quick story here about one of my mentors who, no, he's actually a business coach, but every time he's says something, I go, holy shit, that's, you know, that, that fits ever anything. Okay. And one of the most recent things that I encountered with him had to do with uh, goals because I teach on goals a lot, right? And you guys are probably sick of me talking about goals and goal attainment and whatnot. Right. Um, but what he said was uh, successful people and failures both have the same goals. They both started off, right? Um, they've done surveys with high school students. Okay, something like 56 percent of high school students believe that they will become millionaires. And yet. Less than one percent of them. Will become a millionaire, actually, um, we're talking about millionaires like they are what most of us think is millionaires. Okay, most people have no idea that if you work a uh, a regular job, right, full time job, you have doesn't even have to be like a profession career, right? The average job, you're making between 50, you're making $15 an hour, $20 an hour, something like that, right? Okay. Um, in your working life, you will have made uh, a little over a million dollars. Okay. So when people say, I want to make a million dollars, they will have. But that's not what they meant, right? Okay. What they would like to do is make a million, be a millionaire, okay? Um but see vagueness, whatever. Okay. But that's, that's not the point, right? What he pointed out was that it's not the goal because both people, how many people want to be a black belt in ninjutsu? How many people want to be a master of ninjutsu? How many people want to master this to the extent where they're a self-defense expert? And so they're, they're able to handle bad freaking things, right? Lots. Okay. Then why are there so few comparatively speaking? Why do only about one in a hundred, on average, one in a hundred people who start martial arts training, right, um, ever make it to black belt? And I think that number's low. Okay? It's not the goal. He suggests, and I have to think about this, but he suggests that what, what I'm talking about now, right, being clear on what's needed and then working, because this framework, these conditioners, right, point to a process. Okay. He said that people who fail, people that are struggling all the time to make it focus on the goal. But they're really inconsistent, if at all, with working the process. And the process is what gets you to the goal. 
it's the discipline of practicing every day. It's the whatever, right? Spending the time studying to figure out what it is that you need to learn. It's putting things into action, right? Um, it's doing more than just the same handful of techniques or whatever again and again and again and again. Okay. The successful person, they have the goal, but most of their attention is on the process. It's working the process because their belief, their view, their perspective is that the process is designed to get me to the goal. So I don't need to be focused on the goal. I don't need to be talking about the goal. I need to be focused on working the process. Okay. So that's really where we're going with this. Okay. But this still all comes down to one, right? Right perspective, right belief or whatever is all about clarity. How clear are we about one, the problem, right? Violence or manipulative people or whatever. And how clear are we about what this art is all about or the training or whatever program you're in and its ability to solve the problem, right? And then the energy, the intent and resolve that we're willing to put in. Okay. So uh, again, how important is it or how firm is your resolve to make this a reality? Okay, because everything else is going to flow from this, but they're all equally important. Okay, so let's keep moving, right? So the next one, the next conditioner is generally known as right word or appropriate word or whatever. And conventionally, it's how do we, how do we, how we talk about things, how we describe it, right? It has to do with precision. It's the way we communicate um, both to the external world and to our internal world. Okay. Communication is the key that either gets people who don't understand what we see in this to either be an ally or at the very least not be an impediment. Okay? Because you will have people that love you, don't understand it, and don't want you wasting time, effort, and money on this thing that they think is a hobby or a waste of time right? or taking it away from family or whatever. Okay. And our ability to communicate with them to either get them to be an ally or at least not be an impediment or to explain to them that um, this is not a your way or the highway kind of situation. And if it is, then we have to reevaluate our relationship, which of course is going to take, Bravery, which comes from resolve, which comes from clarity. Okay. But here's, here's the thing, right? How do I, how do I describe this thing? Right? How do I, what kind of words do I use when I discuss it? Okay. Um, how do I plan for it? Because this goes to lesson plan, right? How do I, I guess, again, what we're talking about here is not just something general like ninjutsu training, right? It's the training. It's how I train. The depth and whatever, right? How often and that kind of stuff, right? So externally, 
for people, right, to, to get allies or to get other people to help me as training partners, that kind of stuff, right? How do I describe this? How do I discuss it? Because that part of that's a, a litmus test, right? But remember what I said about, like, I've had to look at certain people and go, we're going to have to reevaluate our relationship. And some of them were really, really close. Okay. Seriously, dude, you were going to look. And this comes from Armikio, right? We have to decide. Okay. We have to decide. And you, you live your own life. Okay. I'm living mine. You live yours. But we have to decide. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be powerful? Do you want to be proficient? Do you want to be able? Or do you want to be with that person who's giving you an ultimatum where you have to decide what they're really saying, right? It's either that or me. What you have to decide is, do do I want to be with this person and get what I get instead of being powerful and productive and to be able to make both of our lives better. Here's a story that I got from a different mentor. He had a he had a, uh, another student right who uh, was actually a university student, and this guy um, was he started a what did he do? He started a, a an online business that was uh, he wrote some software that helped people be able to make better decisions in the investing world. Okay, and he was making like five hundred grand. Um, a year. So he's making a half a million at this point. And he was slated by the end of the next year to uh, be making well over a million. So he was in school. He was in college. Okay. And uh, he had his fiance. And uh, this is not, this is not going to rub some of you the right way. So it's okay. If you start clicking off, it's, it's, it's really okay. <laughs> How about, how's that for a negative preframe? Um, he was re- he was trying to build things up so he could start to hire people to put them in place and then you know he could redirect his energies but that was going to take at least another year and but in the meantime his uh fiance had come to him and said look it's either the business or it's me so what she was really saying was you get a, a real job work 8 hours a day and make this much Right. Um, And you get to have me because that's what I'm okay with. That's what I'm comfortable with. Um, Or you keep doing this thing that you're doing and um, yeah, I'm, I'm gone. And so he had gone to this mentor and he laid it all out. And what my mentor said was, you know, you can do whatever you want, but let's look at this from a purely, logical intellectual side of things let's let's put feelings aside okay which is easier to replace a million dollar business or a fiance now again and say this was nice okay but this is why we apply intellect to things feelings are great okay 
but they can also derail us from our goals. Because it's also been my experience that people can get really engaged in the training when their life circumstances are kind of shitty. But as soon as those circumstances improve and they don't have the same kind of negative feelings or day-to-day kind of thing, their training tanks. Okay, Because the why for the training was it was you know, they're learning things, of course, right? So we're not you know, I'm not going to split the hairs about learning things and whatnot, right? But they fully engage in training or they're at the dojo or whatever it is, right? Uh, they're going to seminars and doing all kinds of things because they don't have anything going on at home or they're trying to avoid or whatever, right? Um, but then when they do, when that situation changes, right? So they're just living out the same roller coaster ride that this whole framework from the life mastery side is supposed to even out. Okay. I don't experience this kind of, I don't have to, I don't have to explain things to my wife about why I do what I do. Okay. But please don't take that to mean that I never did. She didn't understand this in the beginning. Okay. But it wasn't just the way I described this. It was the way I described how it is a part of making me, how, how it's a part of making me who I have become that she's been attracted to and how it will continue to affect who I become in the future. That will be a benefit to both of us. But I completely understand if this is not something is not a ride that you want to go on. Okay. Um, after I got a divorce and I was, you know, I took plenty of time, right, for me and working on things and whatnot. But once I put myself back out there, okay, we have this program called the Life Mastery or Life Purpose Discovery Process. And it's a five, uh, five exercise. Well, I guess it's more like seven, right? Because uh, exercises one and two have two parts to them. So anyway, uh, but it allows you to be able to sum up what you stand for. But there's this other part in it where you are able to lay out like here are these three or five or six or whatever, generally not more than half a dozen things that must be a part of my perfect life. And if we use them properly, they become a litmus test. So when somebody says, tell me about yourself, they can be woven in to how you're describing, right? We're not filling out the, friendship application we're not filling out the premarital application like you know tell me about your parents and tell me you know what kind of car do you drive dude you got to be smarter than this man we, there's got to be better conversations we can have than me you know filling in the blanks for you right so um at different points right very early on in friendships or whatever um i i injected these things in you know so tell me what you're looking for you know well what i'm looking for right is uh, somebody who's got their own things going on, right, that we can mesh, right? But let me tell you that I have this vision for my perfect life, and it does not involve big house, big car, shiny watches, anything like that, right? What I must have in my perfect life are, and there's five things, 
right? One of those things is uh, access to my teachers, which is a part of the training, right? And I have had people before my wife say, it's not okay with me. Now, none of these things have anything to do with like wild drinking or anything like that, right? They're about being authentic and speaking truth and access to teachers so I can continue to develop myself and those kind of things, right? Um, just, you know, they're about the things that will make me this positive, powerful, productive person in the world and an influence um, that, you know, I can share this stuff with others, but I can also continue to, to, and I've had, I've had people look at me and go, that's not okay with me. Why? Thank you very much. Thanks for saving time for both of us. Okay. I wish you well. Okay. Because I don't lead with anybody's better than nobody at all. I don't lead with the fear that I'll die alone. I can be surrounded with lots of family and still I can be off on a trip or whatever and die alone. Right. I'm very clear about the way life works and life for human beings is very messy. Okay. But um, there's this litmus test, right? So how do I describe it? Okay. Um, and when I describe those things, here's my litmus test, right? What I'm really, what I'm really describing is the conditions within or the areas in, in my life where I will not be distracted. Okay. I don't use distracted speech. I don't, whatever. Okay. So anyway, so that's, that's word. Okay. And then we have, uh, right deed or more specifically right conduct. Okay. So what we're looking at here is, okay. So I say that this thing is important, right? It's a heavy interest. It's an intent for me to do goal, whatever you want to call it. Right. And, I have firm resolve and I've developed a plan. I tell other people this is what I do, right? This is part of who I am, whatever. Okay. And we'll talk about that at, at the tail end, right? Cause this is really important. But am I doing the do? So conventionally, right? I've got this plan, right? I've created a lesson plan. Uh, I created a curriculum for me if I'm a solo student or I'm, my teacher has given me uh, a lesson plan, curriculum, whatever, right? Am I following it, right? This is disciplined action, right? Am I taking regular disciplined action to get the lessons from my head into muscle memory? Am I taking the time to study? Am I, you know, whatever, right? And again, all goes back to that energy, right? The amount of um, intent and resolve and energy at the beginning it's got to be reflected in this, right? Our lives every day are a reflection of our belief system, right? What are the initials of the word belief system? Okay. If it's clarity-based, okay, then it's... It's the thing that guides us, right? Because we're following natural laws, principles, those kind of things. And the closer we can get 
our belief system meshed with universal truth, the better off we're going to be anyway, or what's really going on on either side of that, that divide I was talking about earlier, right? Um, if not, then belief system is BS, right? So, but is it BS or not? Well, right? We talk a good show. Does our life reflect the dream or a dream, a fantasy, right? Or does it reflect reality, right? And the closer our BS is or the closer our, our actions and whatnot, if they're right, right, if they're based on clarity, right, then our life should reflect that thing, right? Things should be working for us, okay? I have somebody in my, in my family that, um, it's, it's a lot of BS, okay? Um, because they talk like they know everything, but we're always getting phone calls to help bail them out. Shouldn't work that way. If your belief system is right, then life should show that. Well, see, it would be, but shit keeps getting in the way and people keep screwing. Your belief system allows for those people to be around. Your belief system does not involve a defense mechanism to protect yourself from those kind of people. So if you were, so here's what I'm hearing. If we remove that element, then everything should work because cause and effect says that actions put into place, whether the thoughts, words, or deeds, Okay. Put into place or put into motion, naturally play themselves out and produce very specific consequences, positive or negative, very specific outcomes. Okay. So about back to that life purpose discovery process, exercise three is in identifying, well, exercise two is in identifying these things, right? And then exercise three is writing out these three or five. My, my, again, mine has five, right? And then next to it, we write down all the things that we believe are currently preventing that from happening, preventing that from real, being realized. Okay. So that creates a to-do list. Minimize or eliminate these things. If we're right, and those are truly the impediments, as we eliminate them, these other things should manifest by default. If we eliminate them and they still don't manifest, then we're bullshitting ourselves. I mean, it's one thing to bullshit the world, but to blow smoke up our own ass, that's talent. Okay? It's also very flexible. But <laughs> so, and, and committed, right? Very, there's some serious resolve going on there. Okay, But it's the law of cause and effect. And most people don't want to hear this kind of stuff because it forces them to look at the man or woman in the mirror. Okay? Or the puppy dog or whatever other thing is going on right i just saw somebody that from japan that has always wanted to be a dog since childhood so they spent 1.5 million dollars to have a uh, life-like suit made up so they can dress up and be walked around town uh, as a collie dude whatever you want to do with your money is fine okay um so ultimately he's still experiencing what he believes a collie feels like because he's dressed up to look like one, but he rolls around and plays fetch and all that kind of stuff. But again, the human being simulating the collie. And again, I'm not having this argument with anybody. Okay. Um, 
my belief system is backed up by over 2,500 years of <laughs> sages that have proved it to be true, um, I'm not. I'm, I don't, I'm not playing these games. Okay. Uh, and there's a huge difference between woke and being awake. So again, you can call it whatever you want. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it true. Okay. Um, anyway, so D, right? So the right, the, these actions, right? So ultimately, here's the thing. What or how am I practicing these lessons? Right? Or how am I putting my lesson plan into action? Right? How often? What am I, what am I focusing on? Right? Am I doing the do? Okay? Um, again, am I working it? What this is pointing to is habits. What are my habits? Okay? I know when something's a habit because I end up doing it even when I'm not thinking about it. I know that something's a habit when, when I can't do it, there is internal agitation. Okay. It's like being, being in love with somebody and spending time away from them. And there's that, there's that piece that's, there's that feeling that something's missing. Okay. Because they're an integral part of your perception of you. Okay. We know what that feels like. Okay. When training feels like that, we're well on our way. Okay. But this can't be something that we do whenever. Because that's not a habit. Okay? It's not a habit. It's an every once in a while happening. Okay? All right. So um, uh, we've we've had some other questions along the way about folks that want to dive into this kind of stuff more. They want to, you know, dive into needs to more, whatnot. I've, I've been mentioning this foundations course that we have, but we've got a bunch of people that are way farther ahead in that kind of thing. And uh, they're missing uh, a lot of these aspects like this, right? They've, they've learned a bunch of techniques, skills, um, how I've had people that have made it to second degree, higher, fourth degree, whatever. And um, there was a lot that was missing. So uh, if you're interested in talking about maybe doing more, right? Um, James, if you can put the email address in, where uh, somebody can send me an email, they can schedule a call, we can talk about it, see if maybe we're a good fit or whatever for this platinum program or the inner circle program. Yes, the curriculum is in there and all that kind of stuff, but there's way more um, going on. We have these weekly inner circle group training kind of things where I go into a whole bunch of different aspects of training. Um, and it's just, it's more guided help. Okay. So if you want to do that, uh, you can send an email to the, to the address that James is putting up in the, in the, uh, in the subject line, put the words call request. That way I know uh, that that's what you want to do. But in the body, you're going to tell me something about you. You're going to tell me a lot about yourself, who you are, what you do, uh, how long you've been training in what arts, that kind of stuff. Give me a little bit of a background. And then you're also going to include a couple of days and times. My schedule is really, really booked. and It's really busy. But some days and times that would work for you for a 30 to 45 minute uh to call. It could be over in 10 minutes if we find out that we're not a good fit. But um, uh, a 30 to 45 minute coaching call, it's on me, right? Um, I normally charge $250 an hour for private uh, training, and that's about to go up uh, cause, because, 
right? Um, everybody wants to train with the top guy or somebody who's a Daishihan or Soke or whatever, but they look at the price tag and go, Ooh, can't, can't you do it for me at a Walmart price? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. It just came out. Anyway, um, and then what I will do when I get that is I will look it over, make sure that we're at least a good fit on a cursory level, okay? Um, please don't send me an email about, why, you know, your dog is dying and all these other things that they're the reason I should take pity on you and, you know, teach you for free or whatever. Okay. Um, because I expect a lot from my students and that's not, I don't mean just financially. I mean, I, I, right. Anyway. So if that, if that looks okay and it doesn't look like I'm talking to some Naruto fan turned, um, realist or whatever, uh, then I'll look at your schedule, match it up on my calendar, send a tentative day and time that we can talk. If that works out for you, I'll put it on my schedule and then uh, we'll chat. Okay. Uh, I understand that things come up, but if you bail uh, or, you know, we, we don't get to connect or whatever, um, I don't chase people down, right? I'm not a used car salesman. So um, that's not, and besides that, if you're into this from a traditional standpoint, that's not the way this works, Right. The teacher seeks out, or the student seeks out the teacher. I know we live in the, live in the Western world, but I don't have a drive up window system, uh, in my programs. So, um, that's, I'm not playing that kind of game. Anyway, but it, it just, you know, if, that, if that's something you want to discuss, even if it's, you know, the foundations course or it's that deeper one because you're farther down the line, um, you know, we can do that. Otherwise, let's, let's keep going. Okay. So after, uh, right deed or right conduct, right? How we carry ourselves and how we act, right? Um, the next one is right livelihood. Okay. And again, on a cursory level, people often associate that because in the West, when we say livelihood, right? How's he make a living? Whatever. We're talking about job because way beyond that. Okay. Um, from a life mastery perspective, this is everything from where we live to how we live, decisions we make, that kind of thing, right? Yes. It's you know, our job or occupation is part of it, but how do we manage relationships? Uh, depth of engagement, that kind of stuff, right? So what we're really looking at here when we're talking about our training is how have I set up my life so that correct training happens, right? One of the bonus uh, trainings that I did for my inner circle guys way back, I just took this recording, right? And I added that in as a bonus training to make sure the guys in the foundations program got this. And that training is on how can I create a training space when I live in a small apartment or I live in a small home and I got a, you know, decent sized family or whatever. I don't have a place to train. How, how do I create a place to train when I don't have room? Okay. So uh, whether you have space or not, there's things that we've pulled in. Um, one, I've always been a solo student, so I've had that problem. How here I'll tell you how I did it. But there's other ways to set up our environment so there are constant reminders. Sorry about that thud, I bumped the microphone. There are constant reminders about the training. So what I'm doing is I'm not just depending on my memory. That I need to remember to train today. I remember, right? How do I do that? How do I set up my environment, right? When we go into a dojo, 
there are there are how many different symbols? And I don't mean like the Zen type karate kind of schools where you got four white walls and some mats down and maybe a white ceiling or whatever. And then you might have a, a Japanese or Korean flag hanging down or whatever. Okay. Um, in, in a ninjutsu school, I mean, a lot of people would like to ignore the, the Mikyo influence, but in Hombu Dojo, there are statues. There are things that are, that have come from Shinto. There are things that have come from Mikyo and whatnot. And all of them are symbolic representations of the power, mindfulness, clarity, uh, and all that kind of stuff that we're all seeking, right? The dojo that I've, I've experienced, Hombu Dojo and, uh, my teacher's dojos and stuff like that and mine look more like museums than the average martial arts dojo. Would you agree, James? James is nodding. I can see him, but you can't see him until he flips things on. But right. It's just, and I, I'm a little frustrated now because, and we've been in this place for a while and I, I've got to get these other things up and in place because the, uh, the other dojo that I had before we moved here. Um, and again, the, the building was not in great shape. So I had to make a command decision. But we had way more wall space and only two windows to the outside, and they were glass doors, front door, back door. Uh, but the rest of it was wall space. And we had way more uh, pictures and artwork up and things like that. But even so, with the limited space we have, right, there's stuff all over the place. As a matter of fact, in some of the comments from some of the videos that are put up, uh, people have said it's going to take more than a couple of props that you bought through uh, Amazon for me to believe that you're legit, uh, whatever, when none of the stuff was bought on Amazon, they were bought or the price, the price tags that I haven't removed from my belt, right. That are uh, Omomori, um, these blessing empowerment things that have come from uh, Buddhist temples and um, Shinto shrines in Japan. Right. So um, again, you know, I'm, it, it's not, I mentioned that it, this would be a great comeback, but I'm not going to put this stuff out there because I'm not engaging people in fights. But if somebody doesn't know what they're looking at when it comes to the price tags hanging off my belt, how much else are they missing in that lesson that I put out? Because they don't know what they're looking at. Again, clarity, you know, some people's clarity is like, I don't know, trying to see the fish in a muddy pond. Right. So anyway. All right. So, but livelihood is, livelihood is always about how have I set up my life? How do I engage with it? Right. Who have I surrounded myself with? That kind of thing. Right. So, right. Livelihood is not just how have I set up my life um, so that correct training can happen, but that also includes like, who do I associate with? Right. Do I associate with people who half-ass it or talk about training or jump around from, uh, you know, Facebook page to Facebook page uh, getting caught up. We used to talk about somebody who had a podcast. I haven't heard from him in a long time. He invited me on and then treated me like shit when I said, mm, uh, I'm not sure that our, our, um, our, uh, intentions align or that our, our focus aligns. Right. And then next thing you know, I'm being treated like shit. Um, so that, that speaks volumes about character, not about, um, knowledge. Okay. Um, but there's this thing in, in Mikyo, in, in, known in Sanskrit as a Sangha, 
right? And it's a community of practitioners and teachers and role models and things like that, right? It's your support group, okay? Um, and in the words of Denzel Washington, right, uh, if you uh, are in a room with five uh, intelligent people, you'll be the sixth, right? If you're in the room with in a room with five millionaires, you'll be the sixth. If you're in a room with five successful people, you'll be the sixth, right? If you're in a room with five well-dressed, well-mannered people, you'll be the sixth. If you're in a room with five lazy people who are slovenly and barely do anything, you'll be the sixth, okay? The point is that we rise to the level of the group that we're in. What I found more often is that we settle into being the average of the group that we're in. So the Sangha or the group that we're in has a huge effect on how far we go, which is why I've always sought out the best teacher that I can afford or get to or put myself in front of, which means that I'm now putting myself in a group of people who have done the same thing. And then I seek to be not the teacher's pet. I seek to rise to the top of that group, which now means I need to be in a different group at a higher level. I, I always seek a group that I'm, trust me, when I get into those groups, I don't think I belong there, right? I'm very, very grateful that they accepted me, but that also means that I'm the shit turd in that group, and I need to rise up past average to excelling, which now means I need a different group if I'm going to keep excelling, but I have to risk. So uh, livelihood and right action and things like that, this is going to point to the next one, um, requires a lot of bravery. Right, which also, which now goes back to what? How much do I want it? How deep is my resolve? Okay. I believe that the average person who tries to be successful, whether it's in being a fighter or whatever, right? The fact that they, they do it like everybody else means they want to be like everybody else, but better. They want to have the same habits everybody else has. They just want better results. Okay. They don't want to excel. Okay? And in the West here, shit. Right? Comfort is the name of the game. As soon as we become comfortable, we start slacking off. Just like people that you know, come to the dojo a lot or they really dive into their training when, you know, things are shitty. But as soon as they, everything turns around, then their training diminishes. Because this was something they could do as a distraction, not that they didn't want to learn not that they, okay, but the resolve okay, that shouldn't be dictated by the roller coaster. Anyway. All right. So that leads to right effort. Okay. And effort typically is right. You have a, the, the reality that you have a finite amount of energy. Okay. So are you putting the energy into the things that you say are a priority and pulling it from things that are distractions? Okay. Um, and in Mikyo, there are four types of effort, right? And we call it the four right efforts. Okay. So are we seeking out more of the positive that we can bring into our life, right? So in this case, are we seeking out more knowledge, right? Not just things that affirm what we already know. Okay. It's kind of like churches. Right. Most parishioners, 
choose the perch, uh, church because the minister, priest, or pastor, or whatever, is teaching the lessons in a way that fits what they want to believe. As soon as they change the sermon, and it's not something that they want to work on or believe or whatever, what do they do? Well, they go shopping for another church. Okay. So you didn't really want the truth. What you wanted was somebody that was not you, right, because you guys are all enlightened. Um, what you want is... What that person wants is uh, somebody who's going to tell them what they want to hear. Okay, so they've already assumed themselves God, right? They've already they just decide that this is what's true, and so as long as you're telling me that, and I believe it's important to go to church, or I believe it's important to learn self-defense, or whatever, um, as long as those two match, then we're all good. But now, now what's happening? Right? Clarity's fucked. Okay. Anyway, all right. So right effort, right? Am I, am I seeking out new lessons or am I still just spinning my wheels doing the same things? Am I putting myself in front, you know, am I listening to a podcast or whatever? Or I can just keep nodding because, you know, he's still doing good, dude. Saying what I want to hear. Fantastic. Okay. Um, are we increasing the positive, right? So the stuff that's already, you know, I'm, I'm making progress in these techniques and stuff. Am I continuing on, right, to really get it or do I keep jumping around because, oh, man, dude, how many times can you work the same freaking technique before you just get bored with it? I don't know. How many times is it going to take until you get it right? Okay. How much frustration are you willing to put up with until you get it? Right? Because if you keep jumping around, what you're going to do is be a perpetual beginner with all the techniques. And at best, you're going to be meh with all of them. Okay? So, uh, and then there's the reducing the negative, right? So how much stuff am I paring down to free up the time, energy, resources, whatever that I need to do more? How many impediments am I working on? These are the ones I can't, if I can't eliminate them, I can at least minimize them. Okay. And then the last one is um, avoiding the negative, right? So what negative influences do I know that are out there that I need to do whatever I need to do to make sure that they don't interfere, right? So there's avoid, minimize or eliminate, like cleaning house, right? There's the increase, what's already there, and there's the add more, right? So um, that's effort, right? So the question here is um, how much energy am I putting in, okay? How much energy, effort, resources, or whatever am I freeing up, right? How much more am I taking on, okay? Nijus is about being able to handle challenges, right? Overcoming negativity, challenges, and things like that, right? Um, we can't be like everybody else that's avoiding the challenges as long as we can get the cool stuff, right? As long as it's easy and it's convenient, I'm in, Sensei. As soon as it's not, well, see, underwater basket weaving is looking real good this week, and I'm not going to have time for need to. Okay? So, anyway, right? And then we move on to uh, what is conventionally known as right meditation, right? But it's also right awareness. So, this is where the thinking about things, right? What do I need to study? What and how do I need to be looking at this technique? How does this match up a given problem over here, right? It's the strategic thinking. It's the tactical thinking, right? 
why is this technique important? What do I need to know about it? What don't I know about it that can bite me in the ass, right? Okay. Well, I only want to do things traditionally and classically. Well, then I'm not your teacher. Okay. Those lessons are important, but they're important so we understand how the past masters thought about it. And okay, great. That's the kind of problem it fits. And that's how they developed it based on their environment, based on their technology, based on, okay, great. Great. Okay. Now, one, I don't live in 13th century, 15th century Japan. I live in 21st century America, East Coast, centered in between or juxtaposition between New York City, Philadelphia, and D.C. and Pittsburgh. And there's there's a way that shit happens here. Okay. I travel to XYZ. There's a way that shit happens there. And there's certain potential for bad things to happen. Okay. Um, what do I know about that? What do I need to know so that this doesn't bite me in the ass and I'm not deluding myself? Whatever. Okay. So the question here is, what am I focus? or I'm sorry, am I focusing on what I need to? Okay. Do I know what I need to know? And am I keeping that at the forefront of my head? If I'm supposed to be studying certain things, if the teacher or the grandmaster or whatever suggested studying in certain areas, right, am I? Right? Or am I just doing whatever, you know, I'm comfortable with today? It's good it's because I've already determined where my quit point is, okay? Because remember what I said? The quit point is one step into that's just too much damn hard work, and I'm not willing to do it. And we don't have to think in those words. We can have that feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I need to work on that. But meanwhile, there's a lump in your throat or the pressure in your chest or whatever, where you just, your subconscious is already back there going, yeah, no. Okay. Well, you need to, right? You need to focus on it. But we constantly distract ourselves because that's more important. That's more important. I had to get that done, right? Man, I'm just... I'm not smart enough to to understand that stuff. Um, see, that's not cool because I'm not throwing a kick or whipping somebody into the ground, right? I know it's the fight science and it's going to make it better, but I'm already pretty good at it. So, like, really? Okay, good. So you can do that to a 250-pound MMA guy who's used to getting hit a lot, right? And he's used to getting hit in the head a lot. It's really difficult to throw him because he knows how to sink his weight, all that kind of stuff, right? This guy... Uh, slipped into a bad part in his life and now he's a uh, meth addict or he's a crackhead or whatever. And now he's having a moment of uh, enraged assholeness, right? And you just happen to be in his environment when he decides to act out. You know, his skill sets don't go away, right? Just because he's whacked out. What goes away is his ability to control his strength, his power, his intent, those kind of things. So now what you have is an absolute enraged fucking monster that has a skill set that you better be asking now and not then whether you have the skill set to be able to handle it. Right. When pressure points, because you only focused, we did, we did a whole whiteboard Wednesday on pressure points, Q show, right? To most people, pressure points just make somebody feel pain. What if he doesn't feel pain? That's only one of five different types of Q show. Well, then you're shit out of luck. Okay? And no matter how strong you are, or how many times it's worked on how many different people, if it doesn't work, 
you better have a bailout that you can execute in, what is it, 250 milliseconds or less, okay, which is a quarter of a second, or he's slamming you in the skull with something else because he didn't feel it. That didn't stall him. You're in the gosh, right? Can it control somebody, right? Or do you see it as a block and he crushes it down and makes it worth nothing, throws your balance off, grabs you by the throat, and now you're not breathing anymore. Okay? So, again, am I focusing on what I need to? This goes all the way back to clarity. Okay? And all of these things, when I ask these questions and answer them, and it points me in certain directions, right? Am I thinking about what I need to? Am I focused on what I need to? Right? Attacker psychology. Huge thing that every, practically everybody ignores. Because it's Right? It's invisible, dude. I mean, you know, his psychology is he wants to hit me, so I just need to handle the punch. Really? Hmm. What if he's trying to hit you because he's the smoke screen and his friend's coming up behind you to, to jack you in the back of the head and render you unconscious so they can rape your woman? Okay? Now, if you think that's not a possibility, I just spoke to a student today who had a family issue that all started with friends staying at house, somebody kicking in the door, sending him to the hospital, raping his girl. He wasn't even home. Wasn't even involved. Well, he I take that back. He was involved in what, what's our one friend saying, James made lots of bad life choices, <laughs> right? And somebody else suffered because of it. Okay. His livelihood sucked. His effort was all about him, um, whatever. Okay, and then this leads to right consciousness. Consciousness is typically about it's. People often confuse it with was consciousness the same as awareness and all that. No, awareness is what I'm focusing on. Consciousness is the depth to which that focus is there. In the beginning, there's me focusing on that. So am I listening to it? Am I watching it? Am I studying it? Am I communicating with somebody and having a conversation about it? Am I learning it? Whatever. And then it gets deeper and deeper where you start to kind of lose things. So when, it, when we're talking about related to training, I'm going to bring this back to that life purpose discovery process thing I was talking about where I used it as a litmus test, right? When I met my wife, right? She was one of several women that I talked to over time, right? And I was very clear, you know, with her that, um, you know, I'm looking for a very, here's here's some quality and traits that I'm looking for, right? And that had nothing to do with, like, color of hair and not even whether she could cook or not because I'm a damn good cook, right? Um, but what was necessary was that, look, I'm, I will know this person when I meet them. But parts of that are I need to be able to see them in, under two conditions because anybody can be great when conditions are great. What are they like when conditions, conditions are shit? Okay. So I told her very clearly, I need to see you under two conditions. I need to see you when you're afraid and I need to see you when you are um, angry. Okay. Um, had nothing. And if she misunderstood that and thought, you know, why would you make me afraid or make me angry? No, no, there's not. No, no. No, I need to see you under those conditions. I'm not going to do it. I want to see you under those conditions because both of those will tell me whether or not you're a team player or whether you throw people under the bus 
and expect them to make the problems go away because that's not something you do. Okay. If you're going to play the blame game or, okay, this is establishing livelihood, right? Because I'm going to, I'm making a decision about how much I'm letting this person into my life and how much my life will end up revolving around theirs. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Okay. It's about making hard decisions when you're a parent. Is it about me and my comfort level or is it about them learning the lessons they're going to need when they move out into the world? Okay. So, um, but what I told her that had to do with the training because she didn't understand it and she couldn't understand why I couldn't just stop or do it whenever or whatever. I said, you understand this, right? I do this all the time. She goes, you're not, you're not like, whatever, all the time. Cause she, you know, thought it was that martial arts kind of thing. And I said, no, 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 these are no longer, this, this is, this is no longer something I do. This is a, so much a part of who I am that I couldn't not, I couldn't not do this any more than I could not, not breathe. And that's what we're talking about. The depth. Doing this consistently, thought, word, communication, deed, life, habits, consistently until you own it. This is no longer something that you do. It is so much a part of who you are that you can't not do it. That's what this is about, right? So... Until we're there, well, what's consciousness about, right? It's depth of engagement, okay? So one of the questions is, am I fully, am I fully engaged, right? And am I monitoring my progress regularly until it becomes, right? so much a part of who I am that I can't not do it. Okay. So this has to do with monitoring. Okay. Mindfulness, meditation, awareness is about what I'm thinking, how I'm processing it, analyzing it, investigating it, studying it, that kind of thing. Consciousness is depth, right? Am I monitoring it? Am I monitoring me? Am I keeping me on track? Okay. Um, let's see, how much am I thinking about the training, the outcome, right? The end result, not what am I thinking about training wise, right? But see, so now we've come full circle. Okay. The goal's still in there, but the eyes on the goal one eye's on the goal, one eye's on the process. I'm mean, working the process. This is the process. It's multifaceted. It's not just, do I do it sometimes? Do I, I know for a lot of you, right, this is an all-consuming thought. But I also believe, based on messages that I've gotten or little sidebar comments or, yeah, those kind of things, right, that 
you're also weighed down very heavily by things that you think are out of your control. And hopefully, this has given a little bit more clarity about these conditioners that we absolutely have control of. Now, what you do with that and how far you're willing to answer the question honestly and authentically and not just add more to the bullshit, that's, I can't fix that because I'm, I got my own. And every once in a while I bump into shit. I thought I got rid of that bullshit. There it is. It finally bubbled up to the surface that I can do something with it. But it's been conditioning things the whole time. Okay. So anyway, um, James, questions, comments. I know we just ran over the two hour mark and I apologize, but uh, questions, comments. Who's on? Tonight, there's just a couple. Uh, Dave Fletch said good evening hey, and welcome back. <laughs> Glenn's on and said uh, earlier bringing up memories I was Air Force police and went on deployments up to Desert Storm hmm. what you say is true especially the crying soldiers of fortune yeah isn't that the truth now that does not mean that I was not fucking terrified There's just there's a certain point where you either fold or you trust your training and you focus on doing what needs to be done and hope you don't forget the critical thing at the critical moment. But okay, and that's going to be the same as to whether it's a it doesn't matter if it's a mugger if it's the PRA that I dealt with right trained by the Cubans and, and things like that. And I have Cuban friends. So don't take that. I just, right. It was a certain pocket in time, certain bad guys, certain whatever ideology. Right. Um, but see, this is that clarity thing all the way back at right perspective and right view. Are you clear on this adrenal response? Are you clear? Are, are you, are you, you know, let's go back over to the life mastery thing, right? We just revisited, for those of you who are on the pre-webinar for the uh, Sanji Shichi Dobon program, right, the 37 Fundamentals program, one of the aspects that I covered in one of the pre-webinars was the seven aspects or seven characteristics of an enlightened mind. So uh, previous class, we have three more to go, but we just revisited that and went more uh, more deeply into it, okay? And one of the characteristics is being authentic right if you have fears recognize that you have fears you don't slap up a facade and cover it up right because you can't work on it you can't fix it or you can't work with it if you're not and part of being authentic is this this is not the negative way that people who really do care right and have a fear that's driving but they use this as a cliche to hold it up like it's a shield, right? Um, it's truly not giving a shit what other people think of you because they don't get to dictate your value. And if you, or if you are authentic, what you will find is that you will surround yourself 
people would be attracted to you because they want to be around somebody like that. I mean, ultimately, that's true all the time anyway. So bullshitters hang out around bullshitters who share the same stories, right? And they pretend that they don't know it's bullshit, right? Um, all kinds of things, right? But you will attract people like that. And so you will find that it's easier and easier to be authentic because you're around people that want you to be you, right? They, they don't want you to put your your uh, must-haves, right? Perfect life uh, key strategic indicators and stuff like that. No, you can't have those, right? You have to do what I say, be on hand for me, right? Only do things that make me happy, that kind of stuff. Um, you need to be, they, they won't use these words, but you need to be my plaything, right? So what I want, I fell in love with who I think you are. So now here's the script of who I think you are. So now you can't deviate from that fantasy. You can't be you. What the fuck is that? Holy shit. Really? No, thank you. I'll pass. There'll be somebody in line right behind me, right? That will fit your criteria. And they're needy. And I wish them well, but I feel bad for them because if they buy into that, um, they will they're gonna suffer a lot. And they're going to be the same ones to use the, the, the cliche. Um, I had to decide at a certain point in our relationship whether I wanted to be right or I wanted to be happy. Holy shit, really? You had to make that decision? So you were complicit in your own ass-kicking. Oof. Never, ever, 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 ever. Why would a fucking warrior be an accomplice to their own ass-kicking? Sounds illogical. But people do it all the time. They just don't do it on a battlefield. They do it in a bedroom or they do it in a you know, frat house. They do it in a, you know, the, out with the friends, you know, bowling night or whatever. What the fuck is that? God, that speaks volumes about character and self-esteem and recognized value and shit like that. Anyway, sorry. I'll stop now because that's going to turn into a whole other episode. So, all right, what else we got? <laughs> uh, Justin Wallum said, I appreciate your time. Oh, I appreciate yours, too. And I do mean this, right? I heard Phil Collins address an audience one time, and I thought, man, what a classy, upstanding guy. And I don't care if you like his music. I don't even care if you know who he is, right? Um, but he walked out on stage, thunderous applause, he waited until it died down, and he started off his concert by saying, I am grateful that you are here, and I appreciate you, each and every one of you, because I know that there were many other things that you could have done with your time and your money and your attention, and you chose to be here. And I will never take that for granted. I absolutely believe that. And while you didn't pay for this, in money, you took the time. There were other things you could have been doing in your life. And I appreciate it. Okay? So, thank you very much. What else? I don't know if uh, appreciates it, but I do. Right? I appreciate his help because I couldn't do half the shit I do without him. Anyway, so. Thanks, James. <laughs> I say thank you a lot. And, uh, yeah, Dave Schlepp. Right. I don't want her to feel left out because, you know, she'll get that pouty face. 
I'm sorry. Who's next? Uh, Dave Fletch said war is a good reason to cry. All warriors that have survived wars know why these fuckers who think that they're willing to go there are full of shit because they've never been there. And they have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Veteran warriors, while they are willing to step up for whatever their cause is, are huge fans, huge proponents of anything we can do to not go there other than roll over and play dead so you can be a dick. Sorry, but not sorry. So is that it? That's all we got? Seriously? That's the ones that's the ones that hung on. Right? Because we had we had a bunch. I watched the numbers go up and down and all that kind of stuff. I, I did you notice that the numbers would always dip when I mentioned something that probably not so much of a good thing. Or they maybe they signed on and realized it wasn't a dancing monkey showing another technique that they could search YouTube and find forty two hundred freaking uh videos showing the same damn technique. Hmm. Anyway. Bill Jones is on, said, good evening. I always enjoyed your talks about goals and priorities. It helped me a lot looking inside to what I wanted to learn. Yeah, and I, you know, um, Phil, you're, I'm going to rattle your chain, right, in a good way, I hope. Um, Phil, for those of you who don't know Phil, Phil is an example of the kind of student that any good teacher is looking for. And I don't mean somebody who needs to be a teacher so they can, be in charge and feel important or whatever, right? Um, Phil, well, I didn't find out until afterwards, right? I've, I've met students where they come into the dojo and, uh, you know, they're whatever whatever job they have is not making it to be comfortably able to do the tuition or the time or the schedule or whatever. And I suggest that maybe now is not a good time. And next thing you know, Months later, year or two later, whatever, right? They come back and they go, you know, I really wanted to do this. And I really wanted to do this here because of the way you're doing it. And didn't feel great when you told me that, no, you weren't you weren't bending, right? You weren't flexing. Not in the way that I needed at the time or that I thought I needed. And so I, I really wanted to do this. So change job, change financial hat, whatever. Right. And so now I'm, I'm set and I'm ready. And not only am I ready to do this, but my whole freaking life is way better off because you said no. Okay. Now I didn't say no to Phil, but apparently Phil watched a whole bunch of these things and something hit home because last conversation we had, right? Decisions had to be made. And Phil is an example of a decision that a lot of people who write to us or contact us just are not willing to make. Phil drives a third of the way across the fucking United States to come to a seminar. Most people tell us that's the reason they can't train. Because I'm too far away. I'm sure there's a Taekwondo school in your town. I'm sure there's something in your town. I've had people that have made their way to me, but... They did what they could afford and they did what they had time for within the martial arts or self-defense realm closer to them. 
At least you're doing something. Right? See, I, I find it suspect when somebody tells me that they can't train with me. But when I investigate farther, I find out they're not training, doing anything. Well, this is the best. Okay, well, if you can't afford it, drive to me, whatever, go to somebody else's, what's the next best? Well, I, if I can't do the best, I'm not going to do anything. Well, right now, you don't have the time, effort, or money to do the best, sugar. So, now what? Okay? See, what I keep hearing is cop-out after cop-out after cop-out. Right? Why don't you set up a school in my town? Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to do all the work. I'm supposed to put all the time, effort, money, and whatnot to set up in your town, hoping that you'll actually show up more than once. Yeah, okay. See, again, there's that BS. Everybody else has to do the work. Everybody else has to maintain it or do the whatever so that I, whoever the I is, can be comfortable. So anyway, Phil, thanks for being you. Because it wasn't easy. And it took courage. Not in the sense that most people think of where you're putting your body in front of a bullet, but it takes courage to make the changes that need to be made. And Phil didn't need to do this. Phil was a black belt in at least one other martial art. Well, Phil might say he needed to do this. Okay. But anyway, what else we got? Uh, Justin Wallum replied back, I mean it too. I started off doing martial arts after having surgery in my left knee, and it helped me get on my feet. And even to this day, I still can't help but practice martial arts in some way. Yeah. Catch the bug, but at a certain point, it's not the bug, right? It just becomes so much part of who you are, right? My wife now knows where she's sitting when we go into restaurants. And if she doesn't know, then she'll look at me quickly because we settle it really, really quickly. And she doesn't say, like, where do you want me to sit? Her mom doesn't like that. She thinks that, you know, I'm somehow degrading my wife, okay? My wife will say, where are you sitting? And then she knows how to position herself relative to that because it's been 16 years. Okay. Anyway, is that it? That's all we got? Uh, there's one other question that's more kind of generalized. came in from Riley Joseph McConnell. Okay. Asked, how do the Tengu factor into ninjutsu? What exactly are the Tengu? Oh, okay. I'll give you a quick answer for this, but this might turn into a into a longer uh, seminar or whatever. And it's something you can look up as well. Um, there are actually two different types of Tengu in Japanese lore. Okay, one is this goblin-faced kind of character, big old long honking nose kind of thing, um, and there is one that has uh, a hawk's face, beak, that kind of thing. Right. Um, the goblin-faced version is more for the general populace. The hawk-faced one, or falcon, or whatever, right? Bird of prey, um, is for warriors, okay? So, Tengu are, they're, they're this mythical creature, half man, half whatever, right? The ones you normally see um, associated with martial arts, you will see the, the, the bird kind of thing, right? Um, it wasn't so 
you know, you have to really have to look in to see this other one. But, um, again, they worked into ninja lore and all that kind of stuff. But let's, let's just look at them at a very, very cursory level. Okay. Tengu are seen as tricksters. Okay. They, uh, again, being mountain dwellers and all that, you have to remember back in Japanese history and stuff, villages, Japan is an island, lots of mountains and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not just about that, right? Um, but they're not tricksters to the warrior or the general populace. They're tricksters. They're, they're seen as protectors and they're tricksters to those who trick you or would do harm to you. Okay. So they are the symbolic reflection of what we in the West would say, do unto others as they would have done unto you. The Tengu does unto your harassers as they have done to you. Okay? So the ninja in their role as protectors and kind of shadows and whatnot, right? They're going around righting the wrongs for people who don't have the power to do it for themselves. Right. And as warrior protectors, we kind of help those who can't help themselves. Right. Um, now, I said can't. Okay. Uh, my morals and ethics kind of filter out people who won't because they're their own trickster. So I can't save them for themselves. Okay. Somebody who is weak and can't, whatever. Okay. No problem. I will step in. Okay, they're outgunned, they're whatever. Okay, but somebody's doing it to themselves. No. Okay, so Tengu, again, the goblin face one, right? They they attack the attackers of or torment the attackers of the general populace, right? They uh, the one that's for warriors, that's a protector of warriors, um, bird of prey, wings, talons, that kind of thing, right? Um, so this is how the ninja got their association this way, right? Um, because, right, even though the ninja helped the general populace, right, and the ninja actually had masks, right, where they would dress up as Tengu and stuff like that. They had masks that were the goblin face Tengu, um, and they also would spit flammable uh, stuff out of their, out of the mouth, right, and light it. So basically like a flamethrower kind of thing because it fit the superstition, okay? And again, remember ancient Japan, uh, heavy in superstitions, just like ancient Europe, Dark Ages, Renaissance, that kind of stuff, right? So um, instead of trying to re-educate the masses that, no, they weren't turning themselves into these mythical creatures or they couldn't turn themselves into animals or uh, whatever, right? Um, they actually fed the myths. So um, hopefully that's good enough as a cursory kind of thing, but there are trickster demons who they attack your attackers, right? If you're powerless to do things or they've manipulated or they've screwed you over or whatever, right? The uh, Tengu does to them what they did to you, okay? And um, from my Mikyo perspective, um, one of my associative or protective, uh, for lack of a better word, deity, but I know people are going to think of that as a god or whatever, right? Um, it's an aspect. It's a it's a potential. Um, they do exactly this. So uh, let's say James is not 
weak by any means, but let's say that somebody's harassing or they're, they're a passive aggressive dick or whatever, right? And they're making comments to him and whatever to elevate themselves and whatever, right? And for whatever reason, right? He can't bring himself to, to do that back, okay? Um, while everybody else is kowtowing to that person and, and smiling and walking on eggshells so they don't get the wrath of this person, okay? When I meet them, um, I will treat that person. I will become their mirror, okay? I treat them the way they treat other people because they obviously haven't gotten enough of, the ta- of a taste of their own fucking medicine. And I don't care if they don't like me. I have broad shoulders. But somebody, there's situations always where someone has to act. And that's why we wear black. We take on the hardship and the troubles and the pain and the suffering that other people won't. So that person gets, by me, that person gets treated the way they treat other people. And you know what? They don't like it. And when they try coming back at me, it doesn't work. Because I'll let them vent, and then I'll look at them and go, you done? Feel better? Don't ever confuse me with other people you think you can treat that way. Because that's not a reflection of me. It's a reflection of you. So you can take that shit somewhere else. Now, it doesn't always sound that way. Sometimes it sounds like this. Show me your left ring finger. See? They don't match. So you take that controlling, manipulative bullshit somewhere else. Because I don't have to take it. And I won't. And if he does, I feel sorry for both of you. But he doesn't get off the hook either, right? So, um, but that's... Me doing that, there's a character on the mandala that does that. It's the destroyer of ignorance in the three realms. Um, Gozanza Neol. But in ancient Japanese lore, that's, that's a, that's a tengu right there. So I can manifest a tengu. Okay. You just, you, if you're an asshole to other people or if you're harming them or whatever, you I'm more than willing to step up. Okay. Because apparently mommy and daddy didn't teach you the right lessons. And if they did, well, they tried. So now you're a grown-up. You get to deal with a different grown-up. So hopefully that was helpful. Is that helpful, James? Is that helpful for you? It was. <laughs> What's that? It was. That's awesome. All right. So what else? We need to wrap this up. They're going to they're gonna boot us off here pretty soon. That was actually it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm sorry that this drug on for 30 minutes to an hour longer than it normally does. But, James, I'm sorry I kept you extra long. Uh, Aaron, I'm sorry I kept James extra long. (laughs) James is like, whatever. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yeah. So to answer the question that some people have, I know there was a guy, uh, Matt, 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 Matt. I can't remember his last name at the moment. We interact on Facebook all the time. he has sent me questions in the past and has always worried that like I already, I already give away so much, right. As, you know, he doesn't want to be like, you know, whatever, getting extra stuff for free. Okay. I'm sure Phil can attest to this. James can attest to this or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Giving away a bunch of this stuff. Right. But working with me <laughs> goes even deeper. 
right? <laughs> and it's not just a lesson here and a lesson there. They tie together. And the other thing is the accountability factor. I will tell you when you're doing well. I will tell you when you're not stepping up to the plate. Why should you get off the hook? I didn't. My teachers were some of the best role models I had. And there was plenty of tip of the boot love. There was also plenty of, you know, validation. And I, but I always knew that they, they were doing it with my best interest in mind. Okay. Anyway, are we good? All right. So one last time, uh, uh, again, if you're, if you, Want to discuss your training? You want some uh, tips or whatever for, for moving on? Uh, you want to see if we're a good fit? You want to explore what the uh, Inner Circle Platinum Program is all about? Now, if you're just getting started, right, uh, we're probably going to talk about this foundations thing, with, uh, which I think, James, can you just post that, that link one more time? Um, and mm-hmm. uh, he'll also post the email address that if you want to schedule a call, uh, I'm giving it, you know, it'll be a 30 to 45-minute call. Uh, unless for whatever reason it turns into an hour call, but that's all I can book out in my schedule. So, um, but you shoot an email to the email address he's putting up at warrior, Con- warrior concepts online.com. There's hyphens in there too, right? Um, so, uh, put call request in the subject line. Tell me about yourself, uh, Marshall background, what your goals are, that kind of thing. And, uh, that you would like to schedule a call and then please list a couple of good times and days that would work for you. I'll match it up to my uh, schedule with something that should match for both of us. Send it for confirmation. You'll provide a number that you will absolutely freaking answer because if you waste my time, you don't get a second chance. Okay? And I get it. Shit happens, right? Um, but please make it authentic shit and not the dog ate my phone, whatever, okay? I fully expect that you will press on the dog's belly at the right point and talk through his ass if you have to, to make sure that if I carve time out of my schedule, then we're going to talk. Okay. So, um, if you're a tire kicker or you're just a freebie seeker, don't even apply. Okay. That's as nice as I'm going to be about that. Okay. All right. That's it. But, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. I will talk to everybody again next week. I hope, right? <laughs> on. <laughs> Kuden. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe through your favorite podcasting site or join our clan of serious modern warriors at OnlineNinjaAcademy.com.